This morning we're going to be starting a new series in the New Testament in a really quite unique and beautiful letter and challenging letter and uh, sometimes very strongly worded letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. The book that we call 1 Corinthians. So this morning, for those who want to follow along in their Bibles, we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the introduction to the letter that Paul is sending to his friends in the church in Corinth, the church that he had planted himself during his second missionary journey and his time travelling through. I didn't, I missed a golden opportunity to put up a map and that's very disappointing. I'll have to make sure there's one next week. But Corinth is in Greece uh, and it was in one of, in his, in his second journeys where uh, he went further abroad in the first missionary journey. He went through Turkey, planting churches and proclaiming the gospel. And in his second journey, he went further into Macedonia and the city of Philippi. And then from on there down into Greece and to the city of Corinth, where he spent a year or a bit more than a year planting a church there and ministering to the people there. And... He's writing a letter to them now, and this is one of several letters that he wrote, uh, including that there are two that we have that are part of our Bible and two that uh, were lost to history, um, that, that uh, copies weren't kept of, or uh, for whatever reason, they were not what God wanted to become part of his word to us. But this particular letter Paul is writing because some people have come to visit him from the church in Corinth and to tell him about how things are going. And he has a number of, they had a number of questions for him and he has a number of uh, things that he wants to impart to them. But he starts off with this, this, this introduction, this welcome and this uh, reminder of who he is in Christ, who they are in Christ and of the way that he thanks God for them and for all that he's doing in them. But also in it, he also talks a lot about how they have all of the things that they have in Christ and how in Christ they have everything that they need. I don't know whether we 
live our lives feeling like we have everything that we need. So often it's so easy to think, well, if I only had, then life would be better, then life would be easier. So many promises in this last election are about how this policy or that policy will meet our needs. Do we have everything we need? What do we need to be a good Christian, to live a life that matters? What do we need to do to be, as a church, for this to be a church that matters and that makes a difference? What do we need to be confident? Not just slightly hopeful, but confident that we will be going to heaven on that last day. All of these things are probably not questions that the church in Corinth were asking themselves, but Paul thought that they were questions that the church should have been asking themselves. The church in Corinth had many ideas about what it meant to be holy, to be enriched, to be gifted and have spiritual gifts. And in this beginning to his letter, Paul reminds us of, and reminds the Corinthians and reminds us of one essential thing, which is that in Jesus we have everything that we need. Paul introduces himself as an apostle right at the start of the letter. But in that very first verse, he reminds us that this is not because of his greatness. Paul, an apostle, because of how good I am. But that he is a, it's not because of his greatness, but because of God's will, God's decision. He is only what God has made him to be. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And he writes to the church in Corinth. And he calls them to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. It sounds like just the normal sort of pleasantries that you might expect of somebody writing to a church. Sanctified and holy. The more we see of this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the more incredible we'll realise that it is that Paul describes this church in Corinth in this way. That he describes them as those sanctified. Now, the word sanctified is not one we often hear much outside uh, church circles. It's related to the word uh, that for, for being a saint. It's to be sanctified, uh, to be holy. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people. This church was divided into at least three factions that didn't get along with one another. Sexual sin was rife in this church, with people going to visit uh, the temple prostitutes at the temple of Aphrodite, and with a person in this church who was even uh, in a sexual relationship with his mother-in-law, uh, not with his stepmother. Christians were suing one another in the courts. There were people getting drunk at the communion meal while other people had nothing. 
There were some people who got onto this super spiritual kick and were arguing that unless you had certain spiritual gifts, you weren't really part of the body of Christ. Their church services were chaos, with everybody speaking at once and shouting over the top of one another. And to this absolute mess of a church, Paul writes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. How can he call them that? In light of all of the things that we will see, they don't seem very sanctified. But they are those, together with all those everywhere, who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They believed in Jesus. They wanted to follow him. Now Paul, and by extension God, didn't want this church to continue to be such a mess. That's the whole reason this letter exists, is to tell them to knock it all off. But... Sorting out all of these issues, fixing all of the mess in their church is not what will make them saints. It's not what will make them holy. It's not what makes them saved. We're reminded when we realise about what kind of church this is that Paul is calling sanctified and holy. We are reminded that being holy and being saved is not all about what we do. And it's not about how good we are as people. I mean, I guess technically if you were perfect, then yes, you could be holy by being perfect. But the problem is no one is perfect. And so that way towards holiness is barred to everybody. Nobody can be holy by being good enough. There is only one person who has ever been perfect, who has ever been truly holy. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's only one that never sinned. And God made him to be sin for us. That is, our sins were counted to him and his righteousness was counted to all of those who would believe in him I don't know about you I find it so easy to think of sanctification of being a saint of being one of God's holy people as being tied to my performance like I'm more of a saint on those days where I get out of bed early and I read my bible and I'm you know, perfectly kind and loving to my family and to all who come across my path. And then I'm less of a saint the next day when I don't read my Bible and I don't pray and I'm cranky when the kids are being annoying and I fall into sin. But God doesn't write our names in his book of life when we believe and then rub them out again when we sin And then pencil it back in again when we say that we're sorry. And then rub it out again the next time that we sin. 
Paul reminds us in this introduction to his letter of two huge things. If our hope is in Jesus, if we call on his name to to be our saviour and bring us forgiveness, then we're all saints, even though we're all sometimes a bit messy. And he also reminds us, even when we do good, and even when we get things right, and even when we're honouring God and doing things well, even those good things that we do show us how good Jesus is, not how good we are. And I'll spell that out a little bit more through these things that Paul says to the church. Jesus hasn't just saved us as his people in order to avoid hell and avoid separation from God and to get to go to heaven, but to otherwise do whatever nonsense that we want now. In his goodness to us, he has made it that every day of our lives here matter. Every day of our lives here can be used to the glory of God. And in his grace, we have been enriched in every way. Paul writes this, I thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. Now what this is not, is it's not the prosperity gospel that says if we believe in Jesus we have everything we could ever want. All the money, all the cars, all the big houses. Uh, in him we've been enriched in every way. Because he, he, we see that Paul, um, he, he specifies what exactly he's talking about. Been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all kinds of knowledge. And that phrase, all kinds of speech, might make us think about uh, the, the spiritual gift of tongues, which is indeed something that at least part of the church in Corinth thought was very, very important and something that we'll spend some time on as Paul addresses that issue uh, in this book. But it's all kinds of speech that we've been enriched in. Teaching, words of encouragement, building one another up. He's given us all kinds of speech in the church. He's given us things to be able to say to encourage one another in hard times. Things to be able to share with one another about the goodness of God to us. He has enriched our lives with a good word to be able to say, the good news of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, of life everlasting, of a hope beyond a world that is full of sin and brokenness and pain. He's given us all kinds of knowledge, not secret knowledge that you have to be an extra spiritual Christian to be able to understand the secret things of God kinds of knowledge but knowledge of God knowledge of his love we as the people who follow Jesus we know who God is because Jesus has shown us who he is he has shown us the father we know God and we can pray to him each and every day 
We know that he is our father. We know that he loves us. We know that we can be forgiven. We know how that we should live because of his word that he's given to us. Has God made my life richer? As we think back on so many of these things that we tend to take for granted, these gifts of speech and of knowledge, the things that we know that make the things in this life either easier to bear, the hard things, or the things in this life all the more special, enables us to hold on during the hard times knowing that Christ is with us, that he loves us, to know that this is not all that there is, that there will be an end to suffering one day. Has it made our life richer to know what love is? For this is how we know what love is, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a a sacrifice for us. And Jesus chose to do that for us. And in so doing, shows us what love actually is so that we can love one another with that kind of love. Does that make our lives richer, that we're enriched in every way? The things we know of God enables us to know that following his way is best for us, not that he tells us to avoid certain things because he wants to stop us from having any fun, but to stop us from being burnt and hurt by the consequences of sin. And knowing God also means, like the old hymn says, something lives in every hue that Christless eyes have never seen. We see the world differently. We can go out on a bushwalk, four-wheel driving, whatever it is that people like to do, and we can see beauty in creation in a way that people who don't believe in the Creator can't. There's more richness to knowing that all of this was made by one who loves us and who made us. And we know that God gives us a mission and a purpose. And he gives us all the skills that we need to do his work. Which leads Paul to say to this Corinthian church, you do not lack, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. I've already mentioned there was a lot of angst in the Corinthian church about which gifts counted, about which spiritual gifts mattered. And God tells us as his church, he gives us every good gift that we need. We do not lack any spiritual gift. I know in my own uh, in my own past, I've, we've been along to things like the Planet Shakers and the Youth Alive conferences with a very Pentecostal focus uh, where, where there's lots of emphasis on all the Christians learning to speak in tongues. And there's been times where I've wondered, am I lacking a spiritual gift? Because that's not a gift that I have. But to a church who is obsessed with particular spiritual gifts, he reminds them, You as the church body, you do not lack any spiritual gift. God has 
gifted this church with all of the different types of people that it needs, all of the different type of gifts that it needs to be the body of Christ. Which raises the question, do we all know what our spiritual gift is? I mean, if somebody does have the gift of tongues, that's a fairly obvious one. Um, But I believe the Bible tells us quite clearly that gift is not a gift that everybody will have. Sometimes we can have more than one of the things that are listed in the Bible as spiritual gifts. And we'll delve into that more particularly when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the spiritual gifts. But... It's been very interesting. I've been spending some time with someone in this church uh, who's doing a project where they have to reflect on their personality, their spiritual gifts, and the way that we look at looking back on their lives, the way that God has been growing certain things in their life. And if you're not sure what your spiritual gift is, I'm more than happy to sit down with you and do the same with you and to think about what God has been growing in your life. And not every gift is prophesying and knowing things about what might happen in the future or speaking in the tongues of angels and things like, you know, the, 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 the sort of things that people point to as these are spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift can be words of encouragement and building up. There's a spiritual gift of administration and I absolutely do not have that spiritual gift. (laughs) But we need people who have that. God gives us many different types of gifts. He gives us as a church all of the things that we need to do his work until he returns. And he promises that he will keep us firm until that day. You do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this is the Corinthian church with all of their problems that will be blameless on the day when he returns. What a wonderful hope to be able to have. Paul reminds us through this section, through this uh, opening to the letter, every good thing that we do, all of the riches that we have, the things that have enriched our life, and even the spiritual gifts, the things, the talents, the things that we're good at, all of these things are gifts. God has given to us because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. In him you have been enriched in every way. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. You do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. It's in him that we have all that we need. And every good thing that you do in your life, every spiritual gift that you exercise is a wonderful thing to be able to do and delight in doing 
And all of them show us not how good you are and not how good I am so that we can become proud like some we'll see in this Corinthian church became proud. But they show us how good God is, Jesus is, that he's bringing all of these good things out in our lives as we put our trust in him. So whether or not... Yeah, the question of like whether or not we go to heaven and hell, whether or not we are included among the saints, we're reminded doesn't rest on our goodness. It doesn't rest on how extra spiritual I am. It rests on the faithfulness of God. It rests on his promises to us. And we can place our trust in him because as Paul finishes this section saying, God is faithful. And what he has promised, he will do. And he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. So if we've put our trust in Jesus Christ, if we've recognised that we are sinners, that we need his forgiveness, that we called on him and given ourselves to him, even though we are a mess sometimes, we are those sanctified, called to be holy. And we can look on all the good things that he does do in us and take the opportunity to be thankful for what he's doing in us. And know that even where we are still a mess, he can still do a good work in us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the way to heaven is not through our own good works. Because if that were the way, none of us would be there. We've all sinned and fallen short of your glory. And even having chosen to follow you, even putting our faith in you, we all still sin. We're all still messy sometimes. We thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. That the way that we get into heaven is not by being good enough, but by putting our faith in the one who was good enough for us who gave his life in our place, paying the penalty our sins deserved so that we can have everlasting life. We pray that we might put our trust in you. And Lord, let this word not be an excuse that we go out and sin and think it doesn't matter like some of the Corinthians did and we'll be seeing that more in this letter. We know that you want us to live good lives that glorify you. And we pray that you would help us to do that. But we pray that you will help us not to put our hope in that, in how good we are. But that when we do good things, when we have spiritual gifts, when our lives are enriched in all sorts of ways, may we see that as your good work in us and be thankful. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We're going to sing, Great is thy faithfulness.